you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone. My name is Brandon Elliott with uh, Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. Super, super excited to have our guest on today. This guy is a legend in the Chicago area. So super, super excited uh, to actually have you on. What's up, Daniel? How you doing, brother? What's up, Daniel? Hey, what's going on, Brandon? Good, man. Good. So, Mr. Daniel. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So, so a little bit about your background. I mean... You know, you, you come from just in three years, you went from actually having negative $200 in the bank, um, yeah. max out credit cards to actually, yeah. you know, a millionaire in real estate investing with 76 units under your belt. I love that. I love that. Can you, can you just go? 76 units, man. Yeah. Could you uh, just dive a little bit deeper into that? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's, you know, it's, um. <laughs> it seems like just yesterday, man, that I was, uh, you know, I, I remember, well, let me tell you the story. Let me tell you the story, kind of what started it all, I guess. Um, I remember I was, uh, I was 20, yeah, I was 20 at the time, I was a sophomore in college. So, you know, at the time I was currently majoring in history and philosophy before I changed over to business and finance. But um, I remember this was around kind of like the springtime. And, uh, and at this point, my brother and I were actually, we owned a, we owned a company, we owned a DJ company, uh, my brother, Sam. And, um, I remember we were, we, we went to like a private Christian school. So like one of the, one of the rules was you can't dance. Um, that was like, that's honestly what was one of the rules. Like it was a very conservative school. Right. So my brother and I we were like, man, like we should just hold a dance. Like that's outside of campus. So we, we put together, like we, we sent out flyers, like we sold tickets, um, and we sold we sold them for like ten bucks a pop, right? Um, and we had VIP seats for fifteen, you know, things like that. And uh, I remember we had like three, we had four hundred kids at the dance, um, and you know, there was only like two thousand twenty five hundred undergrad living on campus. We got we had literally legit got twenty percent of the entire student population to come out. So what happened was we had um, everything was a cash basis, right? So we we had you know like you know, cash sitting in a safe and, and things like that. And I remember one day, um, like I thought, cause this was before I knew what overdraft fees were. Right. And I had a, I went to, I had a, uh, I had an account with the bank that just stops. I don't have, I don't have like an account with them anymore, obviously. Um, they have three letters of letters a T the is F. I'm not going to say what letter it is, but I think everyone out here, um, but uh, I, I didn't know what overdraft fees were, and this bank charged thirty-seven dollars and fifty cents every day. Your account was in the negative, so I thought, like I thought, I had you know like twenty bucks in my account, and uh, I knew I was running low, right? Like I knew I was really running low, and this, this this bank didn't have like a system where like your card gets declined if there's no funds, because you know like majority of banks do that, right? So like if you if you don't have it, you know have a money in your funds, like you they decline it. This bank didn't because they wanted to make money off overdraft fees. 
yeah. freaking thieves, right? So um, I, I, I bought like literally, um, it was like a dollar and 50 cents. I bought a pack of gum from the school bookstore. And uh, little did I know that that actually took my account to the negative. So um, I went to go make like a deposit or something. And they're like, sir, you have negative $187 in your bank. And I checked, like I literally checked my phone. I was like, no, like that can't be real. Like there's gotta be an error. So I went to the teller and they're like, yeah, that's like, that's actually true. Like you have like four days of um, overdraft fees like on your, on your account. So I had to go back to my brother get the safe that all the cash was in from selling us selling the tickets to the party. And I had to get a hundred, like I had to get a hundred bucks. Right. So I messed up on the story a little bit. Like they didn't actually tell me how much I was de- like negative. So uh, they just told me like, sir, you're negative. Right. So I was like, okay, great. So went back, I got a hundred bucks uh, from the safe. And I was like, dude, like I'll, I'll find some way to pay you back. Like some way to pay the company back. Like, but like, if I can't, if I like, let this keep going, like they're going to keep taking $37 and 50 cents, like every, like every day at 5 PM when the bank closes. Yeah. So, um, I went back and got a hundred dollars and, uh, and I, and I made the deposit and they were like, sir, you're still negative $87 and 65 cents. And I was like, I was like, Oh my gosh, like you gotta be like, no. So I had to call my brother again, drive back, get another hundred dollars go to the bank and deposit that. And then that's what made it positive. Um, and then I went to school like an hour away from home and every weekend I would go home like kind of during those times. And um, I remember driving home, it was an hour and a half drive and I just like cried. Like I just wept, like I don't, like, I don't mean cry, I mean like wept, like I legitimately wept the entire way home. Yeah. And I just, I, just, I was like, wow, I just, I'm such a failure, you know? Um, but uh, that moment right there was when I was like, never again like never like i'm never like never again and that's when i learned that uh you know the, the out of all the like you know the top one percent like 80 80 percent of those people earn their wealth by investing in real estate yeah. so i was like okay like i know what industry you know i need to get into and then uh like i think about six months later i um in december of 2014 I enrolled in the number one real estate education company in the, in the world. And uh, I basically put my head down and I worked my butt off, man. I worked my butt off. I shadowed a whole bunch of people, got mentored. Um, like I worked, worked my butt off. And, and fortunately, these guys had a system in which I was able to create success in uh, a much of way. Somebody who just the hustle needed to just kind of pin. So I plugged in, shadowed a lot of mentors and did a lot of work. Um, and then... Long three years later, you know, here I am, man, 76 units. I'm working on some really cool stuff right now that's out of state. Um, but it's exciting, man. But that's my, that's basically where it all started. That's the story of how, like, you know, it's like, it's like Spider-Man. That's, that's where Spider bit me, right? Like, like yeah. right, that's the story. Yeah, I mean, usually we, we all need something that really um, – kicks our butt and puts us into gear and I feel like you're you're a little hard on yourself for just negative 200 because I know plenty of people that have you know the banks take advantage of that but but you know I like your standards you know something something like 200 bucks negative you just told yourself never again and I think that's awesome so when you started doing your education you know yeah you know you went you went full-time into the education 
Yeah, so fortunately, fortunately for me, I was um, like I was making income as a musician on the side, actually. Oh, okay. So um, I basically just lived like I lived like dirt for like two years. My first two years in the company, I lived like dirt, like literally dirt. Like you know, it's like some days I didn't go without eating. Like um, you know, running on really low funds, just living like as thin as I possibly could. Um, and that was that was my first two years, and and I literally just went full time. So I was, I mean, I was I wasn't full time because I was still a student. Like I was still really busy doing other stuff. But um, like whenever I could find time, I would I would invest in myself and you know watch these classes and and really take things seriously. I you know every Thursday night I gave up that day just so I could drive up to you know this community and learn. Um, and it it paid me well, man. And and. It was a huge sacrifice. Like how big of a sacrifice it was, because in my in my private university, Thursday nights were the only nights where guys were allowed to go into girls' dorms and girls were allowed to go into guys' dorms. Like that was the only night, right? If you were an underclassman. So like for me to give up my Thursday night was to literally like, just like literally just give up any chance of hanging out with a girl. Yeah. But I did it. I I did it because I'm like, man, like never again. Yeah. You know. I love that. That's awesome. So, if you yeah. don't, um, what was the education? If you don't mind shouting out the the name, yeah, yeah. So the education company was uh, the name of the education company is Renatus. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So R E N A T U S. That's yeah. So that's uh, I've been a student there for three years now, and uh, now obviously I'm one of like the biggest, uh, not the biggest. You know, I shouldn't say that, but I'm, I'm a success story, right? Like I'm one of the success stories. Yeah, that that the company uh, has to offer. Cool. So l- let's talk about your first deal. You know, how how long until since you started doing your education until you actually got that first deal? And what did that actually look like? So so everyone's like everyone's like I want to do a deal fast, right? Like, and here's the thing. Like I I started out uh, raising a lot of money. So like 18 months in, like I got really good at raising money and things like that because. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's important, right? So like last eight months I raised $6 million. Uh, and so a lot of people ask me like, Daniel, how do I, how do I get good at raising money? Like, how can I raise money like you? And I, I, I always found that question to be a little interesting because like the raising money part, that's the easy part. Like actually having the conversation with people, that's easy. The hard part is before, like what you're going to do to prepare, right. To, to, you know, to do it. And the after part where you actually have to deliver once the money is given to you, like, it's, it's, it's crazy because so many people are fixated on raising the money. They're not fixated on how good they are with that money, right? Like, so they don't take time to invest in themselves. They don't take time to shadow people, analyze deals. Like, you know, I, did, I didn't do my first deal until two years in, right? So that was, that was literally two years of eating dirt, like studying my butt off every single day, uh, analyzing deals, shadowing people. And then I was ready, which is why I think I've been able to create so much success in such a short span of time. Yeah. Um, because I built such a solid foundation. So my first deal was a 19-unit video. So that was a 19-unit It was a combination of duplexes and single-family houses. And um, I sold all of at this point except like four. And I have four houses that are paid off, almost paid off. Um, so that's four out of my 76. So that, that was a package deal from a, from a seller? Yeah it, was a, yeah, it was a portfolio. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, um, do you mind jumping into the numbers of that? Like what it looked like? Uh, I know you, oh, yeah. you, you've raised all the money to actually get all the financing for all your projects. 
Yeah, so that man, that was a long, long time ago. So I set up an owner financing situation. Oh. Uh, it was a twenty-year amortization. We put, um, I think we put like ten percent down, right? Like 10, 10 or fifteen percent down, and then uh, we a six percent interest, right? And the entire portfolio was around eight or nine hundred thousand dollars. So that was the entire portfolio. So it was in a place called uh, Kankakee, Illinois. And it was uh, very like you know, it was very low income, right? Like just, you know. Um, high turnover rates, higher maintenance costs, and things like that. But uh, it's, it seems like ages ago, right? Just because like we've done so much since then. Yeah. Uh, my my partners and I. But that was yeah, that was my first deal, man. And that's like first deal is always like your first, you know, your first girlfriend. Like you kind of, you know what I mean? Like it's it's like it's either like especially with real estate investing, it's it's usually a really bad experience. But for me, it was a great experience, and I think it was because I took so much, uh, you know, so much time into into preparing myself. Okay. Yeah. The foundation for sure. I like that. So, um, let's talk about some learning curves, you know, like what, what kind of learning curves have you had along the way? Obviously you, you spent plenty of time for, um, you know, shadowing the right people and really building down that foundation, but I'm sure there's still a couple, you know, maybe learning curves that you could help other listeners out there. Yeah. So, um, a lot of it was just humility and like, let me put that in the right perspective because humi- like people think that humility is the opposite of arrogance. It's actually not. Humility is the failure to understand that uh, the knowledge that you will need to success is not within. It's actually on the outside. And actually what you have within is a, is a rather a vehicle of success rather than the, the actual answer. So like it's almost like people, it's like, people give in, it's like people don't give themselves enough credit, but they also give themselves too much credit in different ways. Like for me, for me, um, my, my biggest learning curve was like, uh, like, and like not knowing when was a good time to do my first deal. Right. Uh, so like, I was like, okay, how can I fix that? You know? So I did my first deal partnering with my mentor. Right. So that was my first deal. We, I partnered up with my mentor. He got equity. I got equity. Um, and I did a lot of the legwork. Right. Because like, I was like, all right, well, like, I mean, he's, you know, protecting a lot of my downside because he has all this experience and he has a bit of a net worth. So like I got to put in the, the legwork and, and all the work to be able to um, kind of opposite, make that up, right. Like kind of contrast that, bring value to the table. So um, fortunately for me, like I, I tell people all the time, it's just like, if you, if you um, like, if you work with multitudes of mentors, right? Like you're learning, like you won't have much of a learning curve, right? Like, you know, there's, there's, as long as you're coachable, right? Like the, the only reason why so many people would have so many learning curves is because they're not coachable, right? Uh, that, or they haven't found the right people to, to be able to guide them through the journey. So like, it's, it's such an interesting phenomenon, right? Cause it's almost like people, like there are a lot of people that just don't have the right mindset to learn real estate. Like they don't have the right mindset for, for business. Uh, and I'm not talking about capability. I'm more talking about um, more so self-awareness. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely when you're surrounding yourself with other like-minded individuals that are all, you know, getting the same education can really help brainstorm and mastermind to make sure that your deal is correct before you're pulling the trigger. Yeah. You know, and have all those mentors around you with that tremendous education uh, obviously cuts your learning curves down to, to slim to none for sure. Yeah. Um, cool, man. So let's talk about some other deals that, that you've worked on. I mean, how do you kind of, if you don't mind going into the numbers, like 
how do you how, how can you tell um what is a deal pretty much you know like the, yeah. the numbers into the deal to make sure yeah so like every like i have a theory that everything is a like for the most part like most most properties that you see are gonna they're gonna be a deal yeah but they're gonna be like what's a, a deal to me is a, it's something different for somebody else so like the more you know the more like you know uh experts you hang around with the more deals become available to you right so like for me i can tell i can tell something i can tell you something is a good deal because i've looked at a hundred other properties and deals that like i've turned down so it's like ah eh, you know it's not a home run right like warren buffett talks of the talks about the the baseball analogy right like if you if you got if you have like you know multitudes of squares right and you know like you don't lose if you don't swing type of thing right like there's no strikeouts in business right uh, as long as you like focus on the individual squares, right, that you want, uh, and you were, you're ready to swing like that, right, that right there is is a good indicator, right? Or like the the whole concept of the punch card principle, like Warren Buffett tells a lot of young investors, like pretend if you know in your investing career you only have 20 investments that you're able to make. If you approach it that way, you'll have a pretty successful career. So for me, like I wouldn't do a deal unless it's like a home run. Yeah. Uh, which. Only which that apply that concept applies to me because I look at you know like a hundred deals a month, yeah. right? Like that that applies to me because like I have the knowledge to be able to decipher, right? Like I know a lot of folks who get into a bad deal because they a don't have the knowledge to decipher or it's not relative. They don't know what a good deal is, right? So it's so it's almost like if 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 I send somebody a sixteen unit building, right, and like it cash flows at three hundred dollars for the whole thing a month. And you know the the expenses that your seller gives you is actually not accurate. You didn't ask for the schedule E. You're just going off what the seller says. Well, that's like to them. They're like, well, it's a great deal, right? Because like, yeah. you know, it's thirty year amortization and I'm cash flowing three hundred bucks. Like that's a great deal. I say that's a terrible deal because like, like if you like, first off, I don't believe in thirty year amortizations. I think I, if you amortize properties at thirty years for the sake of building your cash flow, I think that's like, in my opinion, that's very like I don't think that's smart, right? Because Everybody knows that, like, if you want to protect your downside, you have to, like, you have to build up your equity. Like, in, in my experience, is all the early investors who are extremely successful, like, they have hundreds and hundreds of units, and their downside is protected. Like, they're the, they're the type of guys who made money off 08 instead of losing everything off 08, right? Uh, they're the guys who say, like, build your equity because you're not, because because you're going to be able to leverage, right? Like, you're going to be able to leverage that building. Oh, and on top of that, you're protecting your downside for by building up your, your financial interest in a particular property. So, so for me, like, uh, what defines a good deal is I have a huge upside in my equity buildup. So like a lot of room for forced appreciation, right? Uh, and then I have cash flow, right? And then like third, I'll have like tax benefits and things like that. Like, you know, like right now I wouldn't mind taking a three or four unit building, amortizing it at five years and just take a loss every single year for, for tax deductions, right? Uh, wouldn't mind that at all. Um, but for me, that's like, what's a good deal for somebody who's just starting out, you know, like, yeah, they have to have cash flow, right? Like they absolutely have to have cash flow. but I wouldn't say don't like, don't sack, don't do that at the expense of your other two. Okay. Like they, they still all have to line up. Yeah. So, so for those out there that, you know, are just getting started and don't exactly know, you know, what a deal looks like or how to run the numbers correctly. Um, would you mind jumping into that for a second? I know you're kind of focused yeah. on bigger unit complexes, which not all beginners will jump into right away. 
I, yeah, I, they should have. Yeah, I was going to say, I kind of encourage people to start off a little bit smaller, if anything, residential four and under. But, um, but yeah, if you wouldn't yeah, mind, so, the numbers. Yeah, so, like, for people that don't know, like, anything about root, like, the reason why, it's because, like, they don't, they're not educated. It's just, like, it's, like, try, like, it's, like, basically asking somebody who knows nothing about the game of basketball. It's just, like, oh, well, describe to me a triangle offense, right? Like, they don't even know the rules of the game, right? Like, so it's almost like for, for people who um, don't know anything about real estate, like they won't, like they shouldn't know what a good deal is because like they don't even know how to play the game. Like they yeah. don't even know the rules. Right. So like, like you, like I wouldn't be able to tell you what's a good basketball play if I didn't know. Right. If I didn't know the rules, right. Like if I didn't know the rules and I try, I tried telling you what's a good basketball play, I would just say, all right, so you're just going to give the ball to the biggest guy and the four guys are going to protect that one big guy. And that big guy is just going to run, and then he's going to tackle all the other players, and then he's just going to literally lower the rim and just, like, put the ball in the right? – like, but that violates so many different rules of, of basketball, right? So in, in basketball, you get a whistle by the ref. In real estate, uh, you lose a lot of money, right? Yeah. You don't know the rules of the game. You lose, and I've seen people lose – I've seen people lose millions. Or, or you get a little friendly call from either the A, the IRS, B, the Security Exchange Commission – or see some other government agency that, you know, you violated something, right? So, like, I would say to those people who, like, they don't know how to run numbers, they don't know what a good deal is, the reason why you don't know it is because you're not educated, right? Like, get educated, right? Like, you know, read books, listen to podcasts, like, you know, you know enroll, like, enroll in a, in a real estate education company. Like, my mentor told me, my, the day one of me being enrolled, or, like, before that, when I was kind of, like, skeptical of it, my mentor was like, dude, like you got two options, man. And you're, and there's no third option. Like everybody does one or two, one or the, or the other, right? Like you're either going to pay for education or you're going to pay for ignorance. And you know, the cost of ignorance is going to be significantly higher than the cost of education. Mm, That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Um, you know, for me personally, just going back to when you're talking about equity, I, I've actually heard that a few times recently. So kind of, it, it strikes, um, you know, with kind of my strategy that I'm working on right now, I'm, uh, I'm leveraging as much money as possible so I can just constantly get more and also get a huge ROI. Um, but it is something in the future, you know, that I'll, I'll have to start, start preparing myself with like velocity banking pretty much to, yeah. to, to really start cutting that down. Um, Cool. So what kind of projects are you working on right now? Yeah. So I'm, we're, I'm like really excited cause I got, um, uh, we're working on, on six portfolios right now in Illinois and each portfolio has 30 units or more. Um, but we're also right now I'm putting together a partnership that's planning on doing a lot of stuff in Indianapolis. Um, we're looking at, uh, we're in talks with a 300 unit building right now. Uh, we got another building that's 170 units. So, um, Nice. Right now we're I'm, I'm, we're we're kind of in talks of uh, we're in the middle of building that partnership and I got a couple of uh, really sharp guys that I'm really excited to do a lot of work with, um, so that's that's a lot of the stuff that I'm that excites me right now. But um, I don't know like if if you want to talk about something that really really excites me, it's not actually what I'm doing, but who I'm becoming more as an investor. Right, like I'm more excited about the the stuff that I'm learning, like who I'm becoming, like I'm I'm slowly becoming this. Like this, from this, you know, this investor who's like knows how to put okay size deals together to uh, an actual leader who knows how to run an organization that deals with, 
you know, these higher, higher level projects. So uh, I'm, I'm more excited about, you know, like what's happening in my mind and my mindset shift and how I'm growing. Uh, and I'm of, of course, I'm always excited about stuff that's going to be going on on the outside. Yeah. No, that's huge. That's awesome, man. I love that. <clears throat> so, um, so the, the projects that you're working on right now, it's all partnerships and yeah. partnerships is something that I'm just starting to get into. You know, people are starting to like my track record and they, they want to jump on with me. Yeah. But I'm kind of, I'm going through like a little mix and mash. Like, um, what do you mean? Well, when it comes down to, you know, percentage wise and also what people are bringing to the table. I've had other mentors of mine tell me, you know, if they're not bringing anything to the table besides just money, then use them as a hard money partner, give them a good return and then, but no equity in the game. And a lot of people want to come in and. Give oh, them yeah. Yeah. So, oh. yeah, I, I, I don't know, man. Me, me personally, I just disagree with it. Like, yeah. Whenever I always have equity partners, I always do. Okay. So like if, if somebody has money, they come in, I give my investors, a, I actually give my investors a good chunk of equity um, because just in my experiences and what I've seen and what I've learned, uh, it, it, it does protect your downside a bit more. You know, like it helps to have people in your partnership that are extremely bankable in case anything happens. Um, yeah. So like, I don't know, man, that's just my, that's just my personal philosophy okay. on it. Um, but I love it, man, because like people want to do deals with me. And I, and I, in terms of like, um, like people coming in, um, uh, that, that with, with like skill, right. Like, uh, like skill partners. Yeah. I like, I have this philosophy of like, you're either a, you know, as much as I do or B, you know, way more than I do. And you're farther along. Like, I don't, I don't do partnerships with people that I'm farther along than they, and they are because I find myself always having to do more work like having to raise the money and having to do all this. And they're kind of just coasting on my skills. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, I agree. It's always been my experience. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so how did these partnerships work? You know, like how, what did they look like for you? Yeah. So for me, um, in terms of how they get formed, like number one, like I've seen, like I have to like them, you yeah. know, like, you know, like we have to gel, like pretty well together. Like, uh, and not only that, but obviously they got to know their stuff, right? Like, I mean, that's such common sense. Um, like we, like we kind of have to know like who's, who's okay. Like who is who and things like that. But, um, in terms of my partnerships, I always, I always try and form like LLCs. Um, uh, like all my properties are, are, are tied up in separate LLCs that I form with my partners. Are you doing background checks on these people or like getting deeper? So these are, these are folks, uh, these are folks that I've known like for like at least, at least years. Right. Um, so like they have to be like, they have to be tied with something that I, you know, like, like every partnerships that I put together, they're with people that are like, I would take a bullet for. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. So you got a good network of people that, you know, close. Yeah. Okay, cool. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So, um, as far as your future with some of these other projects, you know, what, what kind of, what kind of transitioning are, are you trying to get into? Are you going to start focusing Ooh. on nothing but bigger, um, like hundred unit multifamily from, from now on type of strategy or, or any deal? Yeah. Uh, oh man, that's tough. Um, I, I mean, there's people, there's, there's people out there who like, I would answer that question just by saying whatever the market 
the term is best. Yeah. Right. So like there are people who like Berkshire Hathaway are like they're they're buying uh, like they have a mass portfolio of single family houses, right? So like so I'm like, wow, if Berkshire's doing that, why shouldn't I do that? You know? Um so whatever whatever opportunities that the market presents as best, uh I would I would, you know, lean towards more towards that. It just happens that right now, in my opinion, what investors should be doing and, and a lot of you know big name investors seem to agree with me, uh is buying as many units as possible, like buying as many units under one roof as possible. Oh yeah, of course. So when it comes to the, the units, um, what kind of cash flow are you shooting for? Per, per um, cash flow. I, I always try and do like, now keep in mind, obviously the equity buildup is more important uh, for me, but even after putting it at a 20 year organization, I try and get like a hundred per door. Um, and that's like with, with, 20 year amortization with forced appreciation opportunities and with upside and, and things of that nature. So that that's kind of like my rule of thumb. Like if I can get a hundred per door while building a lot of equity and, and, and building a lot of upside um, and protecting my downside, of course, like I'm, I'm game, you know? So do you refinance any of these properties? <clears throat> uh, no. After you build the value in them? Probably not. No, unless unless uh, market opportunities present enough to the point where I can leverage one property, then no. I I try and stay away. I try and stay away from stripping the equity out as much as I possibly can. Yeah, just to just to create like a, a solid equity position. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So what is, what is your reasoning behind that? Because when it comes down to if it's a fixed type of mortgage, and um, I mean it's multifamily, so every you know, you'll still get the same rents uh, for the most part, you know? Yeah. Well, what is yeah. the meaning behind that? Yeah, and I, I do it because, um, like, for example, well, for the most part, I, all the deals, that I, almost all the deals that I put together are, are, are one of financing deals. So um, they're not with a bank, right? So, like, I, I, I see a lot of people who, like, a lot of people that got into a property at, at a wrong time and, you know, um, they have very little equity and, and they're stripped out and the bank calls their note due and things like that, like ugly stuff like that. So I want to avoid those type of situations as much as possible. So I, I set up a lot of owner financing deals to the point where, um, you know, so I have somebody else, the original seller hold the note rather than having to go through a bank. And that, that's good too. Cause I can pay, you know, my lower down, I can pay a lower down payment. Uh, it's easier to leverage the property later on. Um, and it's just, it's just, it's more downside and upside at the same time. So you've actually, so you don't pay the bank directly. You pay the owner to the property and then they pay the bank. Yeah. So if, if like, for example, if like, if, if, a, if a person has completely paid off a property, that means that they've completely depreciated out their asset. Yeah. Right. So if they, if they, if they own the building for more than 27 and a half years, like they're completely depreciated out. They have no tax basis and they're subject to, significant amount of capital gains unless they 1031 or unless they have lost carry forwards, which like typically people who've owned properties for 30 years are a lot older, like they're in their sixties and seventies and they have no interest in 1031 ing it cause they don't want to stay in the game. Yeah. Um, right. Or, or they typically have already depleted out their lost carry forwards usually by that scenario. Um, so I have, I have somebody else like hold a note and they actually, they actually make more money because, they're able to leverage the interest that I'm giving them to be able to eventually pay off their, their taxes in the back on the back end. Yeah. Uh, but usually for people in those scenarios, like, you know, they don't, they're paid out. They don't, they don't have to make any payment to the bank. 
Um, but if they do, like if they're 15 years into their amortization, then you still have like, you know, they still have 15 years left. If they put it on a 30. Um, typically my 20 year amortization payment to them with them holding a note will typically cover their 30 year amortized uh, payment. They have to make to a bank. Okay. Have you ever run into the situation where the, um, for those out there that are still have a bank that they, um, still have a mortgage that they haven't actually paid the, paid the mortgage. And, and if something like that does happen, you know, what's your, what's your plans around that? Yeah. So if, if somebody, if somebody doesn't make a payment to the bank, so I actually, I actually have my management company, um, have the direct payment to the bank oh, okay. just in case somebody tries to like run out or something. And we usually have, we'll have a note, um, stated in contracts that do avoid that type of situations. Um, but we try and make it as hassle free, like as possible, you know, yeah. for, for the seller. So like we'll say it's hassle free, but really what we're trying to do is we're trying to protect our downside by making sure the bank, uh, payment payment gets through. Yeah. Um, but like if, if we ever have a situation where like, you know, the bank payment is not enough, right? Like there have been scenarios where like, I, like, I, I don't believe that all deals like our own to find, like I've had deals where it was better just to go to a bank. Yep. You know, and just and just get and go and go get our own terms. Like I got a, I bought a thirty-six unit. We got swap rate financing on it, uh, at twenty-year amortization, and we got we got the terms we wanted. So, um, what is that exactly? Uh, swap rate? Yeah. So so swap rate financing is a special program. So it's like a special program. I don't know. I don't know if you guys have it uh, where you're at, but um, I know the bank. Like I know the bank that. Here, hold on. Let me give you the actual like definition because I I know what it is, but like I want to give you the right because we're on a, yeah, yeah. a podcast, right? So, yeah. uh, so according to Investopedia, right, yeah. a swap rate is a rate of a fixed leg of a swap as determined by its particular market. It's an interest rate swap, right? So basically, it, it means that like it's it's a bank's way of making sure that in, they hold on to an investor for a long period of time, right? Okay. So like so particularly with the bank that we used yeah. uh, and and the particular employee of the bank that we had. Uh, he he basically said we want to make we want to make sure you stay around as long as possible. If you try and uh, and try and sell or leave, there are prepayment penalties um, and things of that nature. But if you do stay, you you do get the market rate whatever's lower. So based on so based on it's like you know according to the definition, it's fixed. Like you can either a go with the rate that it's going now, or if the market gets ever gets lower, then you know we'll go with that rate as well. So it's adjustable. Uh, but basically, so that's why it's called swap. So, cause like if the, if the market does change, it's the, the, the rate gets swapped with the lower market rate that it does happen. But the good thing for the banks is that it's, um, it, 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 it like it's a way for them to keep their investors. Like it's a way for them to have these big, like giant apartment complexes on their asset sheet. And they give you the, like a, a fixed, uh, rate kind of thing that, um, whether the the market jumps up, whatever's cheaper, they'll go with the the, the cheaper one. Is that correct? Yeah. So they call it a benchmark rate. Like that's that's the proper like the, that's the proper term. They call it the benchmark rate for um, for the future in terms of the. But that's like um, that was like another reason why we went through that route is because the seller uh, didn't want to do owner financing. Uh, he yeah. was he was actually he was actually on his way to doing. Uh, uh, commercial real estate, like which is out of state. So he ended up 1031ing his wow. equity position in the apartment complex. We ended up financing it at a swap rate uh, type of spiel. So uh, it, it it wasn't like in my opinion, it wasn't the best thing that was available, but it was a way that um, 
that satisfied the seller, right? And also, we were like, okay, we're okay with it because we're we're planning on holding this thing. So yeah. So uh, now this bank they use was this just a, like a small local bank? Oh no, no, these guys are these guys are pretty big. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And just going back a little bit, I know you brought up for a second um, the due on sale clause. Um, you know, it, it's pretty much in all you know regular contracts with any bank that you use. Now, I've never actually run across anybody that has, um, you know, been in that situation that the banks actually came after them for that. But I've heard that people actually, you know, banks do do it every once in a while. So has that ever happened to you or do you know other people that? Uh, no, no. So that hasn't happened to me. Okay. Um, and, and um, typically like typically, I always try so like to give an example the, the 36 thing that we bought we actually went with the bank and the banker who uh, the seller knew right so like the seller knew the guy he financed it through them so we we worked with that bank to see what type of programs that they've had uh, but for the like it actually came to a point where we were actually thinking about uh, Fannie Mae financing um, yeah but no personally me personally it hasn't it hasn't happened to me okay yeah. nice okay um so when you're adding like what kind of things do you do to add value to some of your projects yeah so i i particularly target um class c apartment complexes that are below market rent um okay. that way we could we could just do simple stuff like painting carpet things like that like i just got i just bought a 24 unit building a couple months ago uh that just got done being painted uh but uh, no, I, I look for things like, like that. So fortunately, I have a really strong management crew. Uh, so the management company that I, that I do work with, uh, he, it's actually run by one of my partners. So, um, you know, he has invested interest in it as well um, to incentivize kind of, but no, but the management, with well, the management crew that we got, management team is absolutely phenomenal. Okay. Um, so, so because I have that, I'm able to target things of that nature. If I didn't have that as strong of a management crew, I would just target um, <clears throat> higher quality assets that I, they're targeting now, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have any interest in any forced appreciation. I would just make money off the cash flow. Yeah. So as far as the management crew, is that like a nationwide type of thing? Because I know, are, are you just doing locally? Yeah. Yeah. So right now we're in, we're in the works of making our management portable. Um, so right, one of the biggest challenges that we're having right now with out of state, um, you know, uh, agendas, out of state. Um, you know, projects uh, is, is, you know, how do we, how do we vet onsite managers? Cause with some of these big buildings, we will need an onsite manager, especially if you're looking at 107 unit building, you'll absolutely need an onsite manager. So our thing is how do we, how do we vet those property managers? And on top of that, um, you know, what are going to be, what are going to be some avenues in which we'll be able to add and control a lot of the way the operations are done. Right. So that's one of our biggest challenges right now. We're working through it. Like it's still a work in progress, but um, that's that's if we if we can get that resolved, that's an on that's a long term uh, benefit for us. Okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I like that. So, um, I guess just going into leads. You know, how how are you getting some of these leads that are coming around? So I I um I still do this to this day. I'll actually drive around and just call for rent signs um, and ask the sellers if they want to sell. Uh, my management crew, like they have a big yellow sign that they post all over towns. Um, a lot of it is social media. Like obviously my brother and I have a, a, a bit of a brand. 
So we'll ha- we'll get messages all the time from from people who want to sell us their property or people who want to invest. Um, like for me, like I, I get I, I'm at the point now where I have a waiting list of people that want to invest in my properties. Yeah. Um, like I have like 20, 30 people that are literally like, hey man, when's the next deal? I'm gonna invest. You know, uh, and that's like also how you know like you're treating people right and you're doing a good job. You know, everyone's getting their money and also profit and things like that. So yeah. that's a good indicator for me. But I use all sorts of things like social media. We have a virtual virtual assistant that will research, scour the the Craigslist world. Um, you know, so we uh, yeah, so it's it's a lot of it is creative, but a lot of it is also old fashioned. Like I think people will be surprised how well old fashioned can get you, how yeah. far it can get you. Of course, yeah. So driving for dollars and um, and putting up the bandit signs, pretty much, as well as just your personal branding that's coming around. That's huge. That's cool. Yeah. Um. So, like you were saying, you're you're having you got a waiting list now. Have you thought about going in the direction of starting up like a syndication? So, like maybe like a, are you talking about like a PPM or like a hedge fund or? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I I thought about it, and that's actually kind of the direction we're going towards now um you know we're yeah we're starting some bigger projects and we're starting to realize that we're gonna have to start putting some funds together so right now i'm doing my research on um you know sec codes and violations i got i just bought a text like a business law textbook that's like this thick and uh, i'm kind of going through it right now and trying to read read up on what are the do's and don'ts and um and i and, and for that reason i also have two attorneys on on uh, on this big partnerships just okay. to make sure like I'm, I'm covered you know yeah for sure so so as far as you know obviously you're a busy guy just like a lot of people these days that everybody stays very busy um how are you know what, what are you doing in your spare time obviously your your passion and heart is all surrounded by real estate but yeah you know time management is such an important thing as well as you know, having a well-balanced life. So, you know, what, do you have like a morning routine or a nighttime routine? Um, well, the first thing I'll do is like, like I always hit the gym. Yeah. Um, it's like, I don't ever want to grow up and just be like, man, I didn't enjoy my twenties, you know, like, um, obviously I want to have fun. So, um, sure. like here and there I'll go skiing, like I'll go, you know, have fun, like get away with some people or things like that. Um, yeah. but in my spare time, like I, you know, I, at the gym, I play basketball with friends. Like I read, just like kind of what uh, any any other you know person in their twenties would do. Um, but I'm just, I guess I'm blessed, right, to have been able to find opportunities like this at such a young age. Because um, you know, there's people in my real estate investing community who are like, "Man, I wish I found this place out like even when I was 30, and you found this place when you were 20." So like, take advantage of it. And I'm like, "Yeah, man, absolutely." Like, yeah, you know, no. I know what I have here is is significant. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, man, I love it. I just love it. everything you guys are doing. The personal branding is just tremendous. All the education you guys have behind you and, you know, the the path you guys are going in, I think it's huge. It's pretty cool. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I, I like what you're using, man. I see some stuff on Facebook and this podcast. It's dope. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate you, brother. Cool. So do you have any, like, final words um, that, you know, would be beneficial to any of the listeners out there? Yeah, I would, I would always say um, uh, focus on your mind. Focus on your mindset, the way you're thinking. Never hesitate to invest in yourself um, because it's just, it, trust me, it matters. Like a lot, so many people are focused on raising money, putting deals together, 
and they never question the, the, the integrity, the efficiency of their own mind. Um, and those are the, those are the, those are the people like the, the people whose number one priority is to focus on their mindset, how they're growing and having the right people around them. Those are the people that win, like the win long term and short term, uh, the people who really you know, are focusing on just putting deals together and raising money and focusing on the external results. They're the people who win now. It's great because the market's going up, but all of a sudden when a correction happens, they're the ones that lose everything. Yeah, no, you're so, you're so right. That's funny. Yeah. So, um, so how can we actually pour back into you, add value to you by any means? Yeah, uh, the best way you can make me a happy man yeah. is subscribe to this podcast and, and share it with all your friends. Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> I appreciate you, brother. Yeah, man, appreciate you, dude. Yeah, man, um, cool. You want to give a plug for um, just how anybody could reach out to you or get in contact with you, follow, follow your journey? Yeah, man. So uh, obviously we have the website, the clockbrothers.com. Clock uh, is spelled K-W-A-K. Um, but also feel free to follow me on Instagram, right? My name is Daniel Clock, D-A-N-I-E-L-K-W-A-K. Yes. Um, so yeah, follow me on Instagram and I love connecting with people. Like any, everybody's got their own unique story and you know everybody's got something to share. And I, I, I try and uh, learn from everybody as much as possible. Like I, I strive every day to be a better student than I was yesterday. And, um, at the end of the day, that's all I am, man. I'm just a student, uh, and I try to learn from anybody. So as much, the more people I can connect with, that's like the best way to, you know, to do it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. That's, that's some real good stuff. You know, it all comes down to your network of influence, yeah. you know, what you're surrounding yourself with, um, you know, will end up turning into your network. So I really love that's that. Right. Cool, brother. Well, I appreciate you so much. You know, I, I know when it comes down to making money, we can all make money. And if we lose that, we can always get it back, but we can never yeah. get time. So I definitely, truly appreciate you um, taking out your time to do this and giving back. Of course, man. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me, dude. I'm honored. Of course. All right, guys. Uh, this My name is Brandon Elliott. This is Mr. Daniel Quack. And you can reach me at brandonelliottinvestments.com. Or my email, brandonelliottinvestments at gmail.com. If you guys could please uh, like this, leave a review, um, any comments, and uh, share it to any of your friends, family, anybody that's interested in learning real estate investing. You know, th this is what we're here for. So I appreciate you guys. Uh, till next time, thank you all and God bless. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. Brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.